Welcome back to the FKT Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Anderson. Today, we're catching up with Alyssa Gadeski, who holds the overall supported FKT on the New Hampshire 4000ers. Today, we're going to discuss mindset, logistics, and the challenges of a big peak bagging list FKT. Well, thanks, Alyssa, so much for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you about the New Hampshire 4000ers. Hi, Heather. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So there are 48 peaks in the New Hampshire 4000ers, and they're all over 4,000 feet. And you currently hold the overall supported record on that, which I think is incredibly impressive. I have been to New Hampshire. I have done some of those peaks. They are not easy. So I'm kind of curious, what drew you to this effort? Thanks. Yeah, they um, they are a special, special set of mountains. I know you know them well, having been on the AT through them. I think that's one of the more like glorified kind of cool sections to go through. So, you know, I hadn't had a lot of experience in the White Mountains, actually, prior to a year and a half ago when I moved up to the Northeast with my boyfriend, Matt. But I had a good bit of experience on similar terrain, I would say when I had spent time in the Adirondack. So Mm -hmm. I also have the supported record for the Adirondack 46, which is a very like, you know, similar kind of route to go for an FKT on Mm -hmm. um, just in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. And so I felt like, uh, you know, the White Mountains being 48, 4,000 footers could be pretty similar. But again, I I didn't really know. Mm -hmm. So it was certainly in the back of my mind when I moved up here and kind of was, you know, brainstorming potential projects to do and kind of what was going to motivate me to like go for next. Um, And then there was this moment where I was on the long trail, um, just hiking Camel's Hump for the day with a friend. And kind of up there, you can look west and you see Mount Marcy on a clear day. You can see the Adirondack High Peaks. And if you look east, you can see the White Mountains. Mm -hmm. And So I really kind of felt like, man, it would be really, really cool um, to hold the supported records on the long trail, which I got in 2018, the Adirondacks from 2020, and then to go into the White Mountains and to be able to get that. um, I felt like, you know, those are three pretty iconic routes in the Northeast that share similar terrain and would obviously suit some of the strengths that I have. So that was kind of where the seed got planted. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, I always am a little bit tentative, I think, to commit full on until I start to really scout things out and see things. But, you know, once the seed is planted, then the wheels do kind of go into motion. And we started making some more day trips out to the whites instead of other spots and kind of starting to check the terrain out. Mm-hmm. And how did it compare to the Adirondack FKT? Yeah, you know, it was very similar. Um, Like on paper, it's very, very similar. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the routes that I put together were within like five miles of each other, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, I I don't know. I feel like I never really know how long it actually is because who says what is right. Right. But, um, (laughs) you know, I use Gaia for my mapping software. So at least like by the mapping software, you know, both routes were like, I think it was like 167 miles for the Adirondacks and like hundred and like sixty nine or something for the the whites when I when I mapped that out. And then the elevation was also like really, really similar. I think both had like sixty three, sixty four thousand feet of vert when I kind of plugged it into the maps. You know, you always get something different once you're out there. But um so on paper, yeah, they were like they were really similar. But then if you dig into it, it, it there were some 
kind of striking differences, I think. Um, the White Mountains had a lot more driving in between the the trailheads. Um, you know, there was a lot less kind of remoteness to the White Mountains because you you do hit some more towns and like you're kind of in just a more crowded, populated area. I think maybe being a little closer to the Boston metropolitan, you just get you know, some more people and kind of some more stuff out, right, out there. Right. Um, whereas the Adirondacks are definitely a little bit more remote. You know, I had to do kind of more traverses, I guess I would say, to kind of link up the sections. And I was like in the wilderness and my crew was kind of hiking in a lot of times to get to me instead of just kind of me taking me from like start to finish on something, which was happening in the White Mountains. And like, you know, FKT aside, I think if someone really likes, you know, or spends a lot of time in one place, they would certainly like the other one too. But there, there are some differences there. I think they both can have really wild weather. I think people know the White Mountains for that, but um, definitely don't let your guard down in the Adirondacks either. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think they both kind of create these like microclimates in a lot of the the peak areas that you need to be careful and you need to be prepared for. Um, the White Mountains, I think, is like... I was pleasantly surprised when I started hiking there that it seems very kind of welcoming and accessible to people a bit more than the Adirondacks. Mm -hmm. um, the Adirondacks, you kind of have to like get into this underground community, I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. to like learn the parking situation and everyone's trying to like outdo each other by waking up <laughs> five minutes earlier. And then like before you know it, you have to be at the trailhead at 3 a.m. to get one spot in this like 15 car parking lot, right? right so. Right. The, it's like funny that way and then like there's definitely a sense of pride in the Adirondacks with the herd paths and like not kind of an official maintained trail being to every peak and that's a big you know a big part of hiking in the Adirondacks whereas the White Mountains uh, maintained by the AMC I think like mm -hmm. really has helped the accessibility of it there's good signage yes <laughs> you know you still don't trust the numbers on the signs like I still I'm like wondering who calculated distances sometimes but there are signs mm -hmm. which is nice there are like really nice trails sometimes you know and there is kind of a trail to every I think one they say is a bushwhack you know and the, the parking thing is funny like in the white mountains you can get there at like 7 7 30 and like there's parking available you know it's like it's definitely a different vibe mm -hmm. in each one, which I really enjoyed. I thought was, I don't I'm not sure I've really dialed in on exactly kind of why um, that is. But I think that it was it was fun to see the differences and vibes between the two. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting hearing you say some of that because like I was in the outer annex actually when you were setting your record. I kept expecting to see you like run past me. And we had this like plan to do like a bunch of stuff, but like the forecast completely didn't match what we experienced up there. <laughs> so we, we drove all the way up there and it was like this terrible weather. And we we climbed Marcy and we're like, all right, good enough. We got the high point. Like, let's leave. Because yes. it was just like pouring. And we had come in on a weekday. I think we had come in on like a Thursday or something. And we had gotten there late-ish in the day because like we had driven the whole way up there. And whatever, we parked and we hiked in and blah, blah, blah. And it was fine. And we did Marcy from kind of like the far away end. We didn't go in from the normal side. But then okay. we hiked out and I think it was like a Friday afternoon and it was chaos in that parking lot. And there were like rangers patrolling and checking bear cans and people like there was so much anxiety in that parking lot. I was like, yep, I'm done here. Let's go. Like it was a very and I've spent a lot of time in the whites and I've never experienced that level except maybe like around Washington. So, yeah, it is funny that you mentioned that because I definitely picked up even with my very short experience in the Adirondacks. 
which is like a yeah. completely different like vibe there. And I wish, I mean, I wish I had, I had started kind of scouting in the Adirondacks in 2019. So before the pandemic mm-hmm. and all of that. And so I, I, I'd be curious if some of it has happened, you know, since the influx of people hiking mm-hmm. and all of that and just having to keep that under control. But I, I kind of get a feeling that it's always been like that. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we'll ever solve that one. Yeah, it is interesting how, you know, places that are similar and not that far apart can be like just different. So, uh, so you talked about your route and, you know, for those who don't know, you know, uh, this is like basically a peak bagging FKT. So you get to pick your own route through it. And I'm kind of curious how you went about determining your route. Like, did you go out and scout all of these peaks beforehand? Did you try a few different things? Were you kind of following a blueprint set up by a former FKT holder? Kind of tell me about your process. Yeah, so I really like maps. I do a good bit of adventure racing, which requires navigation and map and compass skills. And, um, you know, have really tried to kind of develop that skill of mine through the, the past few years. And so I look at a lot of the maps. So when I'm you know, kind of starting to dive into a project like this, I get all the maps that I can, you know, start laying them out and just start to make a lot of options. I I have like at any time a million different routes for the same peaks, like going on Gaia. So I can see like, oh, well, is this one a little bit shorter or is this one longer? But which one has more vert and like things like that, right? So I'm kind of just always throwing spaghetti at the wall for lack of like a better way to say it and just kind of brainstorming different routes and then I will go out and you know try different ones when I'm scouting certain things um I certainly am trying to minimize like minimize the distance and also be very aware of the vert that's required for the route I think there's like a fine balance there between what will be the fastest and then There's also a lot of trails that might be shorter, but a lot slower, um, and it might be worth going an extra mile to kind of have the easier route and that kind of thing. So I'm always just kind of weighing those things and weighing, like, my strengths, I think, against that. I'm not, like, a super, super fast runner, um, but I can run sections, and I'm willing to run (laughs) when it's runnable terrain. Um, but I'm very good at hiking uphill strong, um, and I'm, you know, pretty good on technical stuff. So I, I use all of those things to kind of just get kind of a feel for what I think will be best. And then I definitely am digging into any data on prior attempts or, you know, prior record holders. This one hadn't been like touched in, um, too long. Um, Stephanie Bishop had broken the women's record the summer prior, but she, went during this like hurricane that hit the east coast so she had a heck of a time and her route was i think a little bit jumbled because of that she had to move a lot of things around to make it work within the weather windows and so you know that was kind of helpful but kind of not um and then a lot of the other routes that were more historical were like so i don't even know if the internet existed <laughs> during some of them right right, so, right um i mean i'm being a little i'm exaggerating but you know they're not i mean if anyone kind of knows Sue Johnston, like Sue Johnston doesn't put her routes online, you know, um, and, you know, I could send her a message and she might give me, you know, some information. But, you know, I try and go on what's like readily available to everyone at that point. And, you know, it's not like I'm trying to dig into like build a rocket ship here. So I don't, you know, I think with what's available to people, you can kind of figure things out, too. So um, it it did help that. um Will Peterson had gone 
a couple weeks before I was going. So I got to see his route unfold and compare that. Obviously, I had mine, which was pretty set in stone, but I certainly could have kind of moved a few pieces around. But for me, you know, what I'm looking at is trying to, and this is something I learned from the Adirondacks actually, was that I wanted to get the big chunks um, kind of out of the way early. So I think in that first day, I did a little bit over 50 miles and I had like a giant kind of 38 mile segment basically um, that included two bushwhacks and a ton of her and it was it was going to be kind of a really, really big day. Like a lot was actually riding on that first day. And so, you know, getting those kinds of things that are intimidating because they're hard and they're just intimidating because they're sitting in my head and I know it's hard. You know, I want to get those big chunks like out of the way early. So I try and plan that into the the beginning days. Um, you know, I was going to have to do a Prezi Traverse um, plus isolation on there. So a long day out in the Prezi's and the Prezi's is notorious for really bad weather. So and it's one of those segments where like, like I went up on Franconia Ridge and the weather was pretty bad. But, um, you know, the the Prezi's is a section where you you don't go if the weather's bad, like you, you really can't. And so being aware of that, and like kind of putting that towards the beginning, where hopefully we would be pretty sure of the weather when no we had going into that rather than leaving it to the end when things might be a little bit more variable, I think was important for me. And then really from there, you know, I have all of those things kind of laid out. And then I I just pick my sleep um, and my rest time. And I try and like build in the puzzle pieces based on that. That's like, okay, if I want to sleep, you know, my initial plan had me sleeping for four hours or like stoppage, right? Which would include kind of everything I needed to do plus sleep for four hours a night. So how would I, you know, how many... I have 20 hours then a day to like work with and which of these puzzle pieces adds up to 20 and then that would be day one and then to day two and day three and so on. So um, that was initially how I, I did that. And it, it seems to work out pretty well. You know, sometimes you get really close and you're like, all right, well, this adds up to 22. So I guess I have to move a little bit faster on this one, you know, and you have to send up, you know, a little bit of a, a prayer sometimes that your legs will carry you faster than you think in those later days. But um, you know, I think it helps to have that much structure for me because I'm like, okay, I have to hit it. Like I, this is what I have to do now. And just mentally, I think it doesn't give me a lot of room to waffle when I'm out there and be like, oh, I need an extra break or let's take some more time, mm -hmm. which is, which is good when you're trying to set a record. Right. Yeah. I love that really detailed, like insight to how you plan. I think that that's, it's very interesting hearing from different athletes, how they approach things like this and, um, yeah, I agree. Gaia is an amazing tool for planning. Like I, I love Gaia, just like putting all the routes on there and the peaks on there and seeing how the pieces fit. And I think it's important to to recognize like catering to your, your own personal strengths. Cause I think a lot of people overlook that. They just look at what somebody else did and then they try to replicate it. And definitely in a, in a route like this, I think there's a lot of flexibility to go with like what your strength is. So I think that's really cool the way you broke it into chunks and organized it. Yeah. And I think I gained a lot of confidence in how I do things and how I plan after the Adirondacks. Um, you know, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough, I guess. I don't know if people can, I think Sarah and I would both go back and forth on which it was um, to race uh, Sarah Kai's mm -hmm. for that record. And so, you know, her and I are just very different athletes. And like, if we were to go head to head in a race at any given point, I mean, it wouldn't even be close. She would beat me. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, 
it was it was interesting to see that with the dynamics of an FKT and how much else comes into play that like the planning of how you're going to do it to suit your strengths is so important. And I think when I looked at the White Mountains, I initially wanted to be Andrew Thompson's time. That was definitely a goal. Um, you know, I have raced in the Barkley Marathons and I've gotten there one year and I want to keep building my resume to hopefully get to go back. So mm -hmm. that was something I was specifically targeting, right, to hopefully use that. And Andrew was like a good person since he's a Barkley finisher. So mm -hmm. in my head, that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But that meant that, you know, I mean, Andrew Thompson, it has a huge resume. Right. And so I had gained some confidence from kind of racing Sarah on in the Adirondacks. And I knew that your strengths can carry a lot more than you think. I think mm -hmm. if you play to them well and you really, you know, use them to your ability, like don't shy away from those. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So now that we've talked about all the planning and everything that went into this effort, I want to know about what was the biggest logistical snafu because there's always at least one. Yeah, I mean, I think we should probably have like some of the crew on to tell you about that. I think that you know of. Things, yeah, I know. That's the thing. Things went very smoothly as far as I know. Um, you know, and and luckily this is like this was my third supported FKT and a lot of the crew kind of has overlapped from effort to effort. And so they're really dialing it in, which is amazing. And it keeps, I think, some of the snafus to a minimum. But, you know, off the top of my head, I think, I think, and I wouldn't even call this a snafu because I think we always talk about this as like probably going to happen. But right off the bat in the first segment, I I had two pacers with me. So I had Chris and then I had John, uh, my boyfriend's dad, as like the second pacer and we had two people because we knew it was the first segment i'd be like very fresh moving really fast i was climbing up cannon mountain first which is like one of the hardest steepest like really we were just gonna get it from the gun right so we thought we could have we had it covered so that they'd be able to kind of split the gear and still be able to keep up carrying what they needed to but you just never know until you start going and the day was it was pretty wet to start which makes that climb a little bit harder I was carrying nothing. Those guys were carrying everything. And it wasn't too long. We got to the top of Cannon and then it was actually like the cannonballs if people have hiked over to the Kinsmen on that Kinsmen's on that ridge that are really tricky, um, dry, and they're really tricky and technical, very Adirondacky actually, um, when they're wet. And so it so I ended up dropping them on that ridge line. And so I think, you know, in terms of a snafu, we had kind of planned for it and I was going to have a little out and back. So I knew like they'd catch up in that time and it was no big deal and sort of thing. But I think that was probably one of those moments where we were like, oh, we got to like really make sure we have plan B and plan C dialed in in case, you know, I am moving faster than I say I'm going to and things like that. And it we had, you know, it always works out how it's going to work out. John had actually started down instead of waiting at the out and back with Chris. And he ended up taking a wrong turn or like kind of somewhere. And he just like, as we're descending, he just like kind of pops out. And he's just like looking at a map. And we're like, John, he's like, oh, like I was about to go this way. We're like, no, 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 go this way. So, you know, disaster averted. Right. He ended up miles and miles away. But, um, you know, after that, I think everything was pretty dialed in. And I think my pace slowed down too a little bit right. after that, which helped. But um you know and the bushwhacks you always kind of expect things to go awry and mm -hmm. it's never certainly never perfect but um pretty much after that I think 
as far as I know, again, I'm sure there's a lot more street <laughs> right. to be told by them, but things went pretty smoothly. Yeah. I, I think that it, I think that it would be really cool to have like a subsidiary like podcast that's all just yeah. talking to crew members. Like, just tell us what really happened, you know, and just like juxtapose it with the FKT or oh, the yeah. cast because there's yeah. always stuff happening. <laughs> and, you know, I, it's always been like my fear, like if I have support of like them not meeting me where they're supposed to, but I've literally never thought about losing them out there and like <laughs> they vanished into the wilderness lost. So now I have a new, a new fear. <laughs> I'm glad you found him before he took the wrong turn. (laughs) So this isn't exactly a snafu, but I did uh, read this in your trip report and I couldn't help but just like laugh. So there was an issue outside of everyone's control when you were doing moose. And I was wondering if you could talk about how that came came about. Like, just tell me the story. I just, I can't. And I mean, it added distance to your route, which I think is like, the worst thing possible when you're doing an FKT. Yes. I forgot about it. Okay, yes, this is, you know, not really a staff on our end, but it was one of those things that just happens. Right. And, you know, with a, I mean, with any attempt, I'm sure, but I have only done supported attempts and I, I never can feel like it's good until, honestly, like when I'm on the last segment, then I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like, I could break a leg and I'll still crawl to the, you know, like, you know, <laughs> right. it's, those kinds of thoughts keep going, but at least it's all like under your control especially with the driving that causes me a lot of anxiety because I'm like, there could be anything from a pullover for a ticket to, you know, what happened, which was we were driving up the dirt road to get to the ravine lodge trailhead uh, for Musalak. And yeah, we're, we're driving and it's like a Saturday in the white mountains (laughs) summer. So it is crowded and people have been like, why did you pick that one? I'm like, "Uh, the route, you guys, the route was like the best this way. Like I had no choice. So it's, yeah, it's like midday on the Saturday. And I mean, everyone around is out to hike moose too. Mm -hmm. So that dirt road is just lined on one side with cars parking and you can drive all the way up to turn around and then you have to drive all the way back to the end. Right. So we're obviously like, okay, we're in the crew van. We're going to drive up, turn, drop me and the pacers, and then someone can turn around and park. And we're driving, and you have these moments of kind of playing chicken with the cars who are already turned around, coming the opposite direction. Right. And the road kind of, you know, narrow ebbs and flows, like gets narrow and then widens, gets narrow and widens. And so we come up to a car, and I'm like, okay, we got to hold our own. We got to, like, you know, be the ones that play chicken and, like, you know, have them back up because we could see the road was wider right behind them. And so they start backing up. And had her the poor woman driving. She's like backing up, backing up, and we're just all watching it happen. Like, oh no, oh no, no, no. And she's just swerving off. And the side of the road is not like a deep ravine or like a whatever, but it's like a trench kind of under, you right. know, to the side. And she just tips her little Rav four off the end, and like one wheel goes down oh, off the no. edge of the road, and the other three wheels all lift up. And we're like, oh no. And her car's just like cockeyed out now so that we can't fit the van through no one can fit anything through and I was just like and I was like we're going from here and like the door flies open and we had another (laughs) truck of like people with us behind our car so we had plenty of people there I was like just grab what we need and I just like started you know because the adrenaline's going at that point and I'm like I know it's not that far right and so we just start like sprinting down to the trailhead and it it honestly didn't add too much mileage I feel like I want to say a half a mile or Uh something but I mean it does feel like a lot when you've already run over 100 at that point and John who was driving behind us I think at that point he 
stopped and was like i'll help them and so they had to kind of yeah they like built a jack essentially to like jack the car back up and kind of get it on and drive it off and um i did end up seeing that woman by the time she got the car out and started her hike i was coming back down Uh so i did get to she did get to hike that (laughs) well it's (laughs) good good. um but yeah that was one of those things where i was like man you you see you never can count until you're like out of the car on the last one right yeah you just never know and yeah you're right like the car aspect is definitely just this next level of like uncontrollability (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. like i think that's right after the weather in like your inability to control it (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly so speaking of the weather um can you talk about some of the weather challenges I'm, I'm sure you must have had some the white mountains are notorious yeah i i mean i definitely got lucky for as bad as the white mountains could have gotten um and it rained the whole night you know it's one of those things you're lying in bed and like listening to the rain hit the air conditioner outside and you're like is that pouring rain or is it just a, like <laughs> amplified because it's hitting metal right. you know how hard is it raining so it, it was really raining and then was tapering off in the morning as I started. But heading up on Franconia Ridge, I was at Franconia Ridge at like mile probably 15 or so of the first day. And, you know, I was in full full rain gear and gloves and hood on, cinched tight and like, you know, yelling to the crew like we couldn't hear each other with the wind was going pretty good. And um, it was one of those things that I was like, man, this would be like very scary, except there's like... 10 other people up here hiking also <laughs> right because it's such a popular hike yeah and I was like so I guess it's fine to be up here but you know and we're dropping off the backside um to to bushwhack over to Owl's Head and so it's, it'll you know bad weather up there I don't I didn't love mm-hmm. um because it, you know with the fog and you're trying to find the one little spot to kind of get onto the slide and things like that it made it a little tricky but uh nothing nothing too bad we had freshly scouted that a few weeks before so at least it was kind of fresh in our minds to do that um and then it actually we had really nice weather going on from that for a while really nice in the presidentials i would almost say i was like too hot mm-hmm. um i hate to sound like goldilocks but it was <laughs> a little warm that day right um and then the wildcats that was like nice it wasn't wet or anything like that you know there was a few kind of threats of of rain and stuff like that but nothing played out and i'm trying to think i i don't think that it was really just that first day i think um, I think we dodged a few rainstorms here and there, but really nothing bad after that. And um, definitely was, yeah, luck of the luck of the weather window on that one. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Like out of three times on Franconia, I've only had clear weather once. So yeah. <laughs> um, I think Franconia is often bad. But yeah, that's amazing for you had a nice weather window for that. So can you talk a little bit about maybe what your your high point and your low point were either mentally or physically? I think my my low point was really what night would have been not the first night maybe the the second night yeah so the second night I had to do Tom Field and Wiley or Willie I'm not sure exactly which one it's half the people here say Wiley half the people say Willie so we'll we'll go with one of them right um and then I did the Prezi Traverse and then I was going over to Cabot and Wombuck and the Cabot and Wombuck are just, you know, in your head, like when you're hiking the 48, they're built up as like the quote easy ones, you know, and they're just like these pretty straightforward out and backs. And they're just though, like when you do it in the middle of the night and you've already been hiking all day and you're like, oh, like, 
you know sleep is kind of around the corner it just kind of drags on and that was one of those moments where i was like oof that's you know i'm only halfway through this thing and like still have a, you know it was it was definitely i caught myself thinking of every thing i still had left and i was like i can't think about that that <laughs> yet so that was a low point and really that kind of continued through the wildcats I just, the sleep deprivation really had been catching me at that point. And I was like pinching myself, trying to stay awake, you know, uh, like really trying to get caffeine in me. And it would, it was doing the thing where like you would see really clear for like 15 or 20 minutes and be like, oh, I'm good. And then like you'd crash again, kind of as the caffeine just was like, yeah, it's not gonna, you know, it's not magic. Not enough. So, yeah. Right. Um, but then I ran into, uh, we had a couple crew members, Danny and Devin, they were hiking in to to kind of get some supply halfway on that wildcat traverse. And they hiked in and, you know, they had they actually had never crewed something like this before. And so they had everything prepared, but they also didn't really know what to expect. And they have said now, like, they didn't realize how fast things move. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm coming through, we're in and out. You know, I'm in and out in two minutes. Matt was going to stay and kind of grab some other things and then catch back up to me. And so they were like really rushing, like, what do you want? What do you need? And we're like, fill this, fill this, fill this. And as they were filling things, I'm just seeing the powders like, you know, uh -huh. fly everywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, man, there's only like half of the powders getting into these things. They're like, oh, well, you know, like I'm so tired, whatever. Like, it's fine. I'm sure we have extra. Right. Yeah. So, and there's you do. Yeah. So I go. And I'm taking these like half filled powder things and I start drinking. And then I was like, oh, it's like this actually is like way better. You know, like my stomach wasn't feeling mm -hmm. as heavy. And I think your stomach and like the, the fatigue really go hand mm -hmm. in hand. And like if you have a really heavy full stomach, a lot of times it, that makes you feel more sleepy and tired, um, I think. And so whatever, you know, by chance that they had kind of like half to the calorie dosage I was trying to be taking in some of these things. I really think actually helps kind of lighten my stomach and thus like my body started to actually have the energy to process what I was putting in. And it was like the cycle was starting, you know, and I started to bounce back. And so I always joke that like, thank goodness they did that because it did. It helped me really kind of bounce back. And that goes right into the, the a high point for me. I think I finished that. I felt like really good. You know, we we sent the text out to the group like, OK, half of everything as prescribed in the in the flask. <laughs> Um, and I headed over to, um, Mount Kerrigan and on Kerrigan, there was this group of women out for like a group hike. And it was probably like, I don't know, six or eight women all like hiking. And I had a friend who had gone in ahead and she had kind of told them what I was doing. And so as I was hiking up, they were coming down partway and like stopped and cheered for me. Oh. And that was like, it was, I mean, it's the kind That's of thing awesome. where you're like, yeah, you just, you know, you get goosebumps and then they, I caught them again on the way down. And so again, like I just got those cheers and just having a ton of women out on the trail like that is like so much energy, I think, and just really fun. And then from there, like I, I came out of Kerrigan, I had kind of really been ahead of the the projected time for myself. And that was when the momentum started building because I was like, okay, I only have, you know, three or four segments left. Let's like, let's really just like put on the gas at this point and keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love to hear about, you know, kind of impromptu cheering along the way. I know when I set my PCT record, 
uh, it was my literally like my my last day, and I came across a trail crew, and they were like taking a little break, and they saw me coming, and they all just like started clapping and cheering for me, and oh. I, I just remember being like, okay, that's gonna get me to the end of my like sixty mile day, you know, like, just, like yeah, um, having that happen, yeah, so I totally get it. Like it's just like something can really lift you up. Something. It simple. sounds so cheesy, yeah. but yeah, for if and if you're if people are ever out on the trails and see yeah. <laughs> see someone cheer, yes. cheer loudly, it helps so yes, much. Yes, totally. Yeah, especially like I mean, even when you have a crew, like it's FKDs are still so solo. They're so in your head, and just having like that little extra unexpected like support. And they're tired too. Yeah. Like the crew is potentially you know more <laughs> tired. tired in some <laughs> totally. ways, right? So um, yeah. they yeah, like that enthusiasm coming from others is just such a help. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing about your experiences out there. I'm really looking forward to following along with whatever comes next. Thanks so much, Heather. It was great to talk to you. Thanks again, Alyssa, for coming on the show. You can check out her FKTs on the website, fastestknowntime.com, and you can follow her on Instagram at Alyssa Gadeski. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Heather on the FKT Podcast. <laughs>